0: Hello, Welcome back to another series of the Rippling Pages podcast, interviews with emerging and award-winning writers all about the arts and craft of literature. I'm starting the new series in the same fashion as my old series, not with one guest, but two. I'm joined by Erica Moo and Clarissa Botsford to discuss the translation of Erica's debut novel, Thirsty Sea, published by Heloise Press. But there's a good chance you've heard Erica before, quite literally. She's a singer-songwriter with six albums to her name, and her first album saw her nominated for MTV's New Generation Award. She's turned, however, to the novel form, with Nermare Celasette, originally published in Italy in 2020, is now being translated and published by a new press championing international female writers, Heloise Press. Erica's novel focuses on a woman called Maria who, on the surface, would appear to be living a comfortable life with the pilot Nicola. But as Nicola starts to try and control Maria, Maria sees herself confronting not only some dark truths about her relationship, but also her past. And it's Clarissa Botsford we have to thank for that translation. And there's a good chance you've heard Clarissa's name before too. A translator of novels from Italian to English, Clarissa has translated books from publishers such as Europa Editions and And Other Stories, among many others. Her recent translations include Sachin Aspini's Oxygen and Leah Levi's Tonight is Already Tomorrow. Clarissa also plays the violin. So let's welcome my literary and musically talented guests who join me from Rome and Bari. Erica, I want to start with The Sea. So the book is called The Thirsty Sea, but you've also uh, produced an album called Contro Leonde, which in English means Against the Ways. On that album is a song which translates as where lightning strikes and the lyrics uh, in English mean uh, I always know which way the sea is. I always get lost, but I know which way the sea is. In your novel, uh, The Thirsty Sea, this does not seem to be the case and the sea is not does not represent the same source of stability. What has changed since you wrote that song and started writing this novel?
1: Actually, Liam, nothing changed so much because I, I grew up in a, in a town on the seaside uh, in the south of Italy, and I'm talking to you from there. So for all my life, the sea has always has always been both a guide, like a companion, a friend, a reference, but also at the same time, a boundary, something that uh, I needed to, to cross in order to grow up, in order to be myself, in order to discover the world. So like a, um, a danger at the same time. So I do love the sea, but um, but if you think about it, even in the song Dove i fulmini, I say that I, I always get lost, but I always know where the sea is. But The song is called where lightning strikes so where there is a danger even in that case Um, the sea is the place where lightning strikes so um, i think that the sense of love and danger are both in that song and in this novel in the title thirsty sea
0: one of the refrains or one of the things that's repeated through book is this idea of the sea being thirsty thirsty sea uh, never trust uh, the quantity um so for you know maria as she, as as we sort of learn more about maria and the things that have happened in her life what does this idea then of you know the quantity of the sea relate to
1: it's about um be careful from the appearance uh, maria's life looks like a regular life she has a job she has a boyfriend her boyfriend is perfect um, she has a family but she needs to be super careful we need to be careful with people because in every life there is something we don't know we know that also in a, such a great and powerful and admired element like the sea there could could be something that you don't think at the first sight all the water all that marvelous water is a water that can't fulfill your needs can't can't stop you to be thirsty so she needs to find in this book in the 24 hours that i uh, described in the book she needs to find a different source and a, a different kind of water that really is an element. There's that image that you have
2: in the novel where Maria dips her big toe into the sea to test the temperature. And I think that's very revealing. There's basically this default which is not to trust anything or anybody. Uh, it's a deeply ingrained warning mechanism uh, which tells her something bad is gonna happen so she doesn't trust the process. She doesn't trust the outcome. She never lets her feelings go beyond that big toe in the <laughs> sea. And that makes daily life quite trying because everything
1: feels like a test. She's going to fail. It's very interesting. And I think I feel this. <laughs> I feel in this way. And uh, Maria does for different reasons, but she does too.
0: This I like this idea that, that nothing you know nothing has changed you know it's it's th- there is that kind of sense of daring throughout the book how much further is is maria going to go you know where she how far is she going to take this kind of exploration and each kind of page the book asks itself you know where is maria going to take this next is she going to dip her foot in is she going to you know to extend the uh, the metaphor is she going to submerge you know herself in this her you know what her life is becoming Because this series is all about what's beneath the surface there's a lot of that in this novel there's a lot of unseen processes and we've talked about that here the kind of depths and what we see beneath you know sea level if you will we have Maria who's confronting some things about her past some quite dark memories her relationship with her mother Nicola and his you know this anxiety that he has Where did you start with this novel? What came, you know, was it the image of the sea? Was it something else completely?
1: Maybe I started from the end. And of course we can't reveal it (laughs) today, but I think that yes, the first thing I thought that crossed my mind was a woman alone with the sea in charge of her own destiny, um, in charge of herself, just her and the sea, a big space that she needs to take a big decision. Um, so I started from there. Even if then I wrote the book starting from page one, I never, I ne- and go, and go farther. I never, I um, like jumping scenes and coming back. I, it was like a flow from the beginning, but I started from the idea of um, a young woman that needs to confront herself just with the elements of the nature to find some an answer inside.
0: Clarissa, I've heard sort of translators who have different methods of translation start in different points and work on different points, but how... How much does this kind of the narrative influence how you translate?
2: I think uh, my method puts me in the same position as a reader because I never, ever read the novel before I start translating. And that's my cardinal rule. So that, I mean, translators are very, very deep readers, obviously. But my first draft is as if I were a reader in slow motion, So it's like a kind of agonizingly slowed down feeling of this thing that I think uh, Erica Mu does in the book, which is this thing you're talking about, this disorientation, which makes you almost seasick because there's that kind of anticipation. There's the butterflies that you don't know what's going on. You're going backwards and forwards, as you said. Um, but there's also this accumulation of details, this stratification that Erica talks about—the layering, the sedimenting, uh, the repetition, this kind of oversharing sometimes, and then pulling back—that uh, just, you know, m- creates all these questions, uh, unanswered questions. And as a translator, I am literally in the middle of that.
0: That's uh, that's so interesting. Even that you don't read before you translate
2: but obviously then we do multiple drafts and corrections after that but it's the feeling of being in that same position as the reader that I I need to kind of keep me going as well.
0: Erica were you did you both did you were you both aware of this um I because I just think that sort of really it it encapsulates the feeling that you do get in this novel I'm not sure if that's helped impart that sense or not but is this something that you both discussed?
1: Um, we discussed a little bit later when Clarissa started to translate and I think I I uh, didn't know about uh, what she said, that she started uh, translating while she, start, she, she was reading for the first time. And I think this is very interesting and also explains why I feel... That this is a very, very, very good translation. because if you think about it, me as a writer, I didn't write something before a draft of my book. I started writing the book and because you wants to keep, the energy from, of the, the, the love at the first sight, of the, the first impression. And this is something that, for example, I do really miss into the music business because we write songs so so much time before actually recording it. So every time that I go in a recording studio, that I enter a recording studio, I, I'm afraid that I, I've lost that fire. Uh, but with, with writing, this can be preserved a little bit longer. And I think that Clarissa preserved it into her translation. Maybe now I know also why. <laughs> but also well, because... I literally, I, 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 I refused.
2: I, I don't let myself turn the page and look ahead. And so it well, is okay. that feeling of, of, you know, forging forward and, and, and finding out as you're doing it, what's happening. And I think very, your style reflects that so much because you're basically, you're putting off that moment all the way through the book, you're the, the, well, Maria is putting off the moment of
1: revealing. After that, of course, we worked a lot together um, to find that super interesting and super hard compromise between languages and this is something that I think we we built together also being a little bit punk. (laughs) I mean it was obviously the collaboration was most apparent in
2: in the poems that link the chapters and uh, when Erica and I were working on them together I would read them out loud rhythmically Uh, and then we just changed them completely it was just like okay let's throw that out of the window and start again and we started just whittling them down to their most basic elements of wordplay and rhythm and um, of course you know the division of the novel into 24 hours made this idea of rhythm incredibly important Um, and the passing of time the description of activities in real time etc but when we actually got down to thinking about those images, we just totally scrapped what was there in Italian and started again, because what was important was to, to Erica was kind of the overview from going back to the chapter before and going forward to the chapter ahead. And at the same time, taking apart that compound word and putting it back together again with a new meaning. So it was this constant sort of back reaching and forward reaching uh, that just was very hard to translate in 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 the words that were originally there in italian so it really was as i say in the translator's note it really was i think recreation in this particular example but completely collaborative in fact erica and i kept getting new ideas i would wake up in the middle of the night with a new idea jot it down send it to erica the next day and and that process went on for quite a few weeks after the even even after i'd handed in the manuscript
0: so these is uh so these are the kind of small poems that break up the yes. each section yes. um these then i guess are small rhythms you know verse small rhythms that break up other kind of rhythms such as um sleep eating bodily um and what i find you know what's really interesting about that is that Clarissa, you're waking up in the middle of the night and sending over, you know, in between your uh, sleep rhythms or what have you and, 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 you know, your circadian rhythms and what have you and sending these over to Erica. So you definitely get this sense within the book that it's suffused with this, I guess you can call it rhythm. As musicians, do you think this was implicated? Do you think you were supported in this sense? Or is this just, you know, is this about being just in touch with, I don't know, nature or, or just the kind of, you know, elements of the world?
1: It came to me naturally because as you said, I'm a singer-songwriter. So when I mm, when I deal with words, I always think I I think about the meaning, of course, but also a lot about sounds, about like the melody there is into the words. And that's why we collaborated a lot with Carissa in for the translation of the poems because i think that especially with the small poetries there are into the book uh, mm, in that place is rhythm is super important sound is super important so sometimes we need to change something in order to keep this kind of marriage marriage wedding i don't know uh, between um, sound and meaning Uh, so i think that the rhythm is also essential because we have just 24 hours to tell a story that lasts 30 years, so um, we have this sense of rush. When this sense of um, increase, it, the, the rhythm is constantly increased and then uh, slow down for the final part. There was also the element of, um, I mean, her, Maria's
2: insomnia uh you know this the fact that sometimes the description of the activities is almost in real time
1: you so right because some i you uh you know i still don't know how uh, english readers will uh, receive the, the book but i know that i was super um enthusiastic when readers in in italian in italy told me that they read the book like it was real time. So they, a lot of people uh, texted me, wrote me, mailed me, telling, t- uh, telling me I read the book in 24 hours and it oh. looks like I was living that.
2: The, the, the non-verbal communication, which is partly the melody that Erica was talking about, um, is is also really really important because this, just as in music, silence and pauses and tone of voice adds, you know, adds, or just even in speaking, tone of voice can change everything. But it's nonverbal, if you like. Um, it's incredibly important in this novel. I think the nonverbal is very very strong, even though Erica is a very verbal thinker and Maria is a very very verbal person, she uses words almost as a tick, but what is the undercurrent, speaking about the sea, yeah. is this nonverbal verbal tone, um, you know, and the irony, uh, but also the, the pauses and the silences.
1: And also a lot of words she thinks are never let out into the air, never reach the, um, the person that... Mm,
0: the surface.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's the whole thing about
2: the avoidance. I mean, the avoidance mechanism in Maria and the procrastination is what makes the 24 hours seem like 30 years, but 30 years are squeezed into 24 hours. But this stretching out time so excruciatingly, just to avoid getting to the actual crux of the thing, it somehow creates in the reader all these unspoken questions. So they're all, you know, you're asking what actually happened? What, why is this day important? Why is Maria so damaged? What, what, where are all these, where are the answers? And the unspoken questions that are spontaneously generated in the reader, but never, ever actually written in the text.
0: So now you're going to hear a reading. First, you'll hear Clarissa reading in English, and then you'll hear Erica reading in Italian.
2: I remember that when I was a little girl, I used to cry a lot. I threw a tantrum once because I wanted a balloon, one of the few memories I have of myself from when I was that young. I must have been about five or six. There were lights strung up and stalls and I was crying and my mother finally gave in and bought it, the star-shaped polka dot helium balloon. The man at the stall, I can only remember his hands, tied it around my wrist. I was proud, For a minute or two. Then tears welled up in my eyes again. I felt I was suffocating. I opened and shut my hands until I managed to wriggle out of the knot and until, without letting any of the grown ups see, I was able to let the balloon go. Up it went into the sky, growing smaller and smaller as I grew lighter and lighter. I followed it with my gaze, just as I would watch a guest walking down the garden path as I waved goodbye. We were accomplices, me and my polka dot star. But my mother didn't understand, and to make me happy, she bought me another one. We took it home. I hated it. Every day it shrunk a little. The first one instead, by becoming a dot in the sky, had grown huge. We waited a week before throwing balloon number two away, so shriveled and sad that at night I was scared to share a room with it. That was the moment I started to want to grow up in a hurry, to have my own wallet with my own money, so that I could finally choose not to buy anything for myself. I don't know whether I ever wanted what I asked for.
1: I don't think I ever actually
2: asked for anything.
1: Mi ricordai che una sera, da bambina, piangevo tanto. Facevo i capricci perché volevo un palloncino. Uno dei pochi ricordi chiari che ho di me da così piccola. Forse avevo cinque o sei anni. C'erano le luminarie e le bancarelle, e io piangevo. E mia madre alla fine cedette e me lo comprò, il palloncino a elio a forma di stella macchiata di pois. Il signore della bancarella, di cui ricordo solo le mani, me lo legò al polso. Fui fiera, per qualche minuto. Poi. Mi tornarono le lacrime agli occhi, mi sentivo soffocare e piegavo e ripiegavo le dita della mano fino a che riuscirono a liberarsi dal filo e fino a che, senza farmi vedere dai grandi, lo lasciai andare nel vento. Lui se ne andava, nel cielo, e diventava sempre più piccolo, mentre io diventavo sempre più leggera. Lo seguivo con lo sguardo, «Come si segue un ospite che si allontana sul vialetto di casa, facendogli ciao con la mano?» «Eravamo complici, io e la Stella Poix. Ma mia madre non capì e per farmi felice me ne comprò un altro. Lo portammo a casa, lo odiavo. Ogni giorno diventava più piccolo. Il primo, invece, facendosi puntino nel cielo, era diventato grande.» Avevamo aspettato una settimana prima di buttarlo via, il palloncino numero due, così aggrinzito e triste che di notte avevo paura a condividerci la stanza. Da allora cominciai a desiderare di diventare grande in fretta, avere il mio portafogli con i miei soldi per scegliere finalmente di non comprarmici niente. Non lo so se ho mai voluto quello che ho chiesto, non credo in effetti. D'aver chiesto mai.
0: It, I guess it's difficult to, to, to write something about the unsaid, but there's lots of, you know, white space. It's kind of if it is taking something from poetry and the white space on the page is kind of indicating that there are things not coming to the surface. What I find interesting in relation to that is your sections of dialogue. There's not, not loads of dialogue, but when there is it, it's quite key and we learn quite a lot about the characters and it kind of humanizes i think in a way sort of maria and, and particularly the mother and you kind of see this you, you get a sense of the interplay between the characters what the kind of choices are made i guess around that dialogue because you can you don't have a lot of, it, there's not loads of time in this novel it's not a big novel
1: first of all the book is setting into maria we are into her mind, into her thoughts, so for, for sure that's why her, her point of view is the only one we know and it's predominant and it's very strong and it's kind of bossy around all all the book, but um, I wanted to at least, those are dialogues that she reports to us, so. It's not sure that those are true. I wanted that she was, uh, that sometimes in some pages, she she needs to be contradicted in some pages. She needs to find uh, another um, another person. She looks, she looks for it. She's almost looking for a foil all the time. She's
2: looking for something to go and bang her head against.
1: Yeah, and, and we need to know, sometimes another voice another point of view and um, Liam maybe you spoke about uh, spoke about it with other writers you know dialogues are the worst thing <laughs> to write are the most difficult things to write um, because it's it's where you need to be real. I choose to do it a few times but in the most honest Way I could not overuse the dialogue and use it like a weapon against Maria.
0: That's very interesting. By the dialogue, you know, by speech, by dialogue, by these conversations being, you know, out in the world with another person, you think they are contradicting the character and the story that Maria is telling us?
1: Sometimes, yes. Because, for example, for the mother, you think that the mother sometimes can, she, she portrays her like much worse than what she is. Her mother is a woman that has suffered a lot and she tries to do her best to keep the family unite. But in Maria's memory, her mother, she's very hard. And she's right in a way, because when everything, when um, um, we can no say spoilers, that- No spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> this is not a, a spoiler actually, because it happened at the beginning of the book. But um, when something bad happened to uh, Maria's family 25 years before, Maria was a child. So a child in and in danger is always right. Uh, but at the same time, she's very, very hard she's very tough um, towards her family. But when we um, read her mother's words into dialogues, uh, we, I think that we feel more connected to, to the mother than we are when we just um, read about her. And we see the process as well of the the relationship
2: and the and the becoming an adult of maria because part of the process of making decisions is is also becoming an adult
0: yeah i mean the mother is incredibly uh she's this fantastic character you know never really get the full sense of who she is
1: Uh, that scene where maria's mother is vomiting it's very it's a memory that really matters to maria because her mother was vomiting because she was pregnant at that time. So uh, she was uh, pregnant of uh, Estate, uh, translated with summer uh, the, um, the Maria, Maria's little sister. And is, a, is the first memory that Maria has. So from that time, and then other things happen, she associate, associates Sometimes, um, life and death with food, with things that you get in, in order to um, develop a life. So, from the first time, she, her first memory, she connects in her brain food with life.
2: It's literally her first memory of her sister, if you think about it. It was the germ of her sister yeah that was being somehow rejected
1: yes not only because the book is divided in four parts and each part is a meal of the day so instead of seasons uh, we have meals but also because it concerns um, food it's a matter also of generosity like maria needs to prepare herself uh, to let things in and she never did it before so um, she needs to be generous not only because i think that generosity is not just a matter of giving and maria is super good in giving she does a job that is about giving presents to people but the the, um, true generosity is being able also to receiving to let people of your life to let things of your life come into your body, into your mind.
0: It, it just makes, it just feels like, I'm, you know, I've I'm re- I'm never, I've not read, certainly in a while, I guess, a book where I've sort of had to kind of second guess what I thought I knew about what happened. Um, I've, I, I came away sort of, did that happen? Did this happen? I like to think that this is because of how the book's written rather than me being a poor reader or a poor, poor podcast <laughs> host. <laughs> um, so, I hope, you know, I hope that is. I hope you. I hope you quite. You know, you enjoy that kind of sense that you do give me, and I think you know other readers as well.
1: I love this. I love that. I think that I can't um, ask the um, the reader to understand everything because sometimes I, I myself. I, uh, me too, I need to understand better what I wrote. And this is something magical about uh, art in general and about words and about a story. Um, You see just something. Uh, And this is is why books um, don't expire (laughs) because in other, uh, after one year, you can read it again and uh, find something new and I think
2: depending on your own experience as well as a reader reading conversations was with a man uh with the 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 client Maria's favorite client he is sort of like her perfect foil really because he's he's the one that that actually makes her he he's the only one who doesn't take her no for an answer and that who who basically doesn't accept any of her Um, I mean, I'd say accepting her shit. No, I don't know. She doesn't, he doesn't accept her bullshit. I think, you know, the character of Nicola, that sort of controlling way of loving is also something that's very important for men to...
1: And for me, for example, the most mysterious, mysterious character is her father. For me, it's the one that I would like to know better because it's the one that she desperately once back in her life. I always say this is like a very long song without a melody. So (laughs) it's like um, in songs, we have lost a lot of definitions and boundaries. And when you listen to a song, you never ask yourself if this is about who is singing it, um so I wrote it like like it was a song uh, keeping my emotions but giving choosing another picture a painting where I can put my emotion in
0: So what then you know what's what's next then Erica you know, you spoke about some of the things that the novel gives you that that the that songwriting and singing doesn't. But what? Where's next for you? Do you think?
1: Um, I think that now the first things that this book gave me was um, I was producing a podcast where where I wrote stories of different women I met in my life, and every story has in common. A points in their lives where all the protagonists escape from something, and they can recollect the exact moment when they escape from could be a, a person or a place or a feeling or, in one of the episodes, was a room. Uh, so um, this is what I what I did now. I think this is very connected to the to my experiences writer a book writer and now I'm 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 touring with my music because I'm I just released uh, the new album so I'm touring around Italy and um, I'm writing I I I wrote seven pages (laughs) of a new book (laughs) I don't know where uh, this will bring will will bring me I'm at the beginning of another journey and I always compose music and uh, I'm super thrilled about uh, Thirsty Sea, uh, Be Out.
0: Thirsty Sea is out in May. Clarissa, Erica, thank you so much for joining me.
1: It's been a pleasure, Liam, talking to you. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Ciao. Ciao.
0: ciao. 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 <laughs> ciao, ciao. That's it, Series 3, Episode 1, done and dusted. Beneath the Surface is underway. Now, if you'd like a copy of Thirsty Sea, published by Heloise Press, it's out in May this year. Do join me next time for the next episode of the Rippling Pages podcast. I'm going to be joined by the poet, Richard Price, and he's here to talk to me about his book, Owner of the Sea.